I'm glad that you have all made the effort to be here today, not only in person, but those who are joining us online. My hope and prayer is that this lesson will be a blessing to you, as it has been to me in studying for it. I'm still learning about these. I would like to say thank you for those who filled in last week for me. Thank you, Mark, and thank you, Tim. And thank you to Mark Johnson, who made it possible for me to view that as well, even though we went to uh, worship in Florida, I still viewed what was being presented here. I'm glad for Mark's ability to uh, use his technical uh, expertise to bring all this out. I'm thankful that we have someone who is on top of the snow plowing here and the cleaning of the building, the ushers, for your great singing voices, for the welcome and cheerfulness that I feel when I come here. I want to have a heart that is thankful in all things, and I am grateful for those and many, many more. There is a silent and deadly killer that is lurking in many of us. Now, doctors tell us that it may be caused by cholesterol, high blood pressure, something that we have inherited as a part of our genetic makeup, and others, leaky valves, all of this. I'm not a doctor, but I play one at home, so I'm an expert if I just read a paragraph on all of these things. It lurks, silent. It's a killer amongst us. And how many of us walk around every day and have no more clue that it's lurking in us because we feel good? We don't know that we have high blood pressure. We don't know that we have high cholesterol. We don't know that we have some of those maladies of the heart until the doctor does the examination and says, you're living on borrowed time. You've let your blood pressure go up. You've let your cholesterol go up. You have these little things that perhaps you were born with that are just waiting, just waiting. Have I scared you enough? Is anybody right now saying, mental note, make a doctor's appointment tomorrow. The preacher says I got something deadly in me. It can be scary, but many of us say, I feel fine. I feel fabulous. But sometimes we have little symptoms that tip it off. We might get dizzy when we stand up too quick. Or certain things that we used to be able to do and maybe we're just slightly winded. There's little, little things that if we're conscientious of them, we take note of them. In our passage today, and I didn't check your outlines to see if I had overlooked that little typo in the top line of your outline. Did I miss it? It's supposed to say a heart that is right before God, not a heat that is right before God. <laughs> Spell check. 
Got to get that spelled. It is a heart that is right before God. In our passage today in Acts chapter 8, a lot of things going on as, as the disciples are moving up into Samaria to spread the gospel. And this one Simon who is known as the sorcerer who had that great power that people were in awe of. And when he sees what Peter is doing, boy, he really wants that power because the reality of it is he's a fake. He's a charlatan, and he knows it. But when he sees what Peter is able to do by laying on of the hands, he realizes it's the real thing. It's the real deal, and he wants a part of it. And he's willing to pay good money for it. And it tells us that Simon was baptized, so he is a member of the church. But Peter assures him, says, your heart is not right. And that is our theme for this year, is the heart. The heart. So as we look at this today, we, we look at a heart that is right before God. Because we see that, that Simon here has a heart that is not right before God. And Peter recognizes it. Even if he wasn't inspired, he, we would be able to tell. Because you cannot buy what God offers. And so as we look at this today, I break this down into really three points. The heart. The heart of the believer and the non-believer. If you'd like to turn to Matthew chapter 13, beginning in verse 19. It is the parable of the sower. And it's one of the very basic foundational parables to know. And Jesus tells his disciples that if you don't understand this, how are you going to understand the rest of the teachings that I have? And Jesus is, is a ways into his ministry as he gives this parable in Matthew chapter 13, beginning of verse 19. Jesus explains this, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. And that's where it all starts. All of these deal with the word of God, the seed that is sown in the heart. And he says that, that first one, well, that's the one that was sown along the path. Verse 20, as for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Where did he receive it? He received it in his heart. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, another sixty, and in another thirty. So in these four examples, we have the entirety of all mankind who hears the word. All will fall into one of those four categories, as the word enters the heart. Either in the first one, as it says, that the evil one comes and snatches away before it can even take root. And then on through to the good soil, where he says... It indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, another sixty, and another thirty. 
And so you and I, brothers and sisters, as that word works in us, we are faithful. We are going to yield 100, a 60, or 30. And of course, those are, are ways of showing that some, it will yield a great deal. Others, not so much. But it's each according to their own gifts, talents, and abilities. So this seed that was sown in the heart, and we go back to Acts chapter 16, and we look at Paul as preaching, and he goes to this place called Philippi. In Acts chapter 16, he comes upon a woman named Lydia, and it tells us in this single verse that we'll look at in Acts 16, 14, one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. And the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. He opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And there's the heart again. Talked about that heart that was open to receive what Paul was going to preach. How this has worked out, I don't know. I can't explain that. But I know that it is the heart that must be opened to hear this word of God. And 2 Corinthians gives us a little bit of a glimpse into this as, as Paul writes to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4. There's a sense in which we understand that this word can come into a heart that is open. But there's also hearts that are closed to the word of God. As closed as a clenched fist that cannot let anything in. For Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, In their case, the God of this world. And who is the God of this world? He's talking about Satan. The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So here we have those polar opposites that we find Lydia here in Philippi who says the Lord had opened her heart. And yet we have on the opposite end of what Paul explains to the church in Corinth, we have the God of this world who blinds the people who will not hear it. And so we have those two polar opposites presented to us. The ones who will allow the word to work in their hearts and the ones who will not allow that into their hearts. The heart of the believer and the non-believer. And what separates them? Well, it really is the ability to accept what is being taught. To either have that, that clenched fist, those white knuckles that says, I will not hear that word. I will not let that word work in my life. And others who have open hearts, exactly as Jesus taught in the parable of the sower. The one who allows it to work in their lives says, I'm not going to let the worries of this world, I'm not going to let the money of this world, I'm not going to let those things, I'm not going to let the evil one keep the word from working in my life. And others, well, they just sort of wander off. You know, I find myself that way too. I don't stand here and say, I've got it all worked out, folks. It's never a problem for me. As we go further into this, we'll find out that each of us has a responsibility to maintain 
that fire on the inside. See, God is not going to force us to do anything that we don't want to do. We are free will people, free moral agents, able to decide and make those choices for ourselves. You see, the heart of Lydia was open, but she still had to obey it. So we look at the heart in our next point, the heart that is not right versus the heart that is right. And after all, that's our theme for the entire year, is Does it go without saying that all of us here want to have a heart that is right with God? I hate to have to take a vote on this, but it it seems like it goes without saying. That's really where we want to be. We want our heart to be right with God. Amen? Amen? Let those who are watching us online understand and know that we wholeheartedly said amen to that. And I'm glad for that. In Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 14, the writer of the book of Hebrews is, is trying to give them teaching on a very, very somewhat difficult point for them to understand, which is talking about Melchizedek. And he gets to the point, he says, I really would like to teach you more. By now you ought to be teachers, but you've grown dull. You've just grown dull. But he talks about those who are mature. In Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 14, he says, but solid food is for the mature. And sometimes that word mature in other places in the New Testament is called perfect. And that's where we struggle mightily. I'm supposed to be perfect, right? Perfect. Flawless. But that's not what it means. It's talking about being mature. Now, I have a baby that's leaving now with the help of his dad, her dad. So I understand that one of them is mature and one of them isn't. But it's only based on that physical growth. But the mental growth of talking of being mature, the writer of the book of Hebrews says, solid food is for the mature. And that's the solid food is the teaching that he's talking about, that higher level of understanding. He says, for those who have their powers of discernment, trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Well, there's our part. Powers of discernment. Discernment, being able to look and say, this is right. I should have used my right hand on that, shouldn't I? But it's your right. This is right and this is wrong. My powers of discernment. You see, at this point, they really can't tell what's really right and wrong because they have not taken the powers of discernment trained by constant practice. Now, you all know that I'm in excellent physical condition. I can do great. I can jump as high today as I could when I was 18. I just can't stay up as long. But, no, you know I'm not really that physically adept. You know that. All those out there know it as well. But the powers of discernment trained by constant practice. You see, we can tell when people are in pretty good shape physically uh, many times, especially when it comes to uh, areas of the Olympics that are coming. We, We can tell those things. But being able to tell if we are really 
constantly training ourselves. If we are constantly in training, we can tell. We know immediately when we're being snowballed by things. We know when people are trying to teach us those things and everything. Where did we come up with that? By constant practice to distinguish good from evil. It takes practice. It takes teaching. It takes a constant diet of the word. And this is where I make my pitch. Have you been following the daily Bible readings online? Been reading through the Bible? We're going to make it all the way through. Lord willing, we're going to make it all the way through the Bible. And to that extent, I have several of the books already read, and they're available in audio on our Facebook and our YouTube page. There, got that commercial out of the way. And Paul writes to the church at Philippi, and he talks to them again about what it means to be mature. In Philippians 3.15, he writes, Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Through constant studying and practice, God will reveal that to you. If you think you're going to go to sleep at night and wake up tomorrow morning with the answer, it doesn't happen that way. God doesn't operate that way. He operates through his word so that you can read it, and I can read it, and we know what is right and wrong. Paul says, let those of us who are mature. That involves uh, growing. You see, if we back up to that first part where it says, where Peter tells him, Simon there in the book of Acts, says your heart is not right with God. You see, when he says that there's a heart that's not right, it automatically tells us that there is a way that a heart can be right with God. Through deductive reasoning, we know that. A heart can be right with God, and Peter gives him the avenue by which he can make himself right with God. In Colossians chapter 1 and verse 28, Paul talks about, he says, him we proclaim, talking about Christ, him we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. It's growing up. It's not just being a little baby all the time. It's being able to grow up in Christ. Because he says that teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we can prevent present, oh, there's a Freudian slip, that we can present everyone mature, not just a few, not just the chosen ones, but everyone. There's a possibility that every one of us will become mature through the teaching with wisdom. But the writer of the book of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 15 said that there are some things that are going to prevent us from growing. And it's the same things that were in the Old Testament. They're the same things that were in the first century. And they're the same things that will kill us today as well. In Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 14, the writer says, Strive for peace with everyone. It doesn't mean strive with everyone. He says, Work towards being at peace with everyone. For the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. 
See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God and that no root of bitterness. That same word here, bitterness, is the same word that Simon was told by Peter that he had in himself. The gall of bitterness in him. He says that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. And there's a lesson in itself, but we're not going to go into Esau. He says, don't let that root of bitterness. Those who are in poison control will, will tell you that when someone calls in and says, I think I've been poisoned. They say, well, what did it taste like? And there's a certain part of our tongue that knows when we have tasted something bitter. Not sour, not salty, and not sweet, but bitter. Things that are bitter have a taste all their own. And poison has a taste of bitterness. They want to know, what did it taste like if you think that you were poisoned? That bitterness. And Paul would write to the church in Colossae, in Colossians 3.5, he says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. He says, put those things to death. So he puts that choice to us. We need to be working on those things that know root of bitterness. And how does bitterness become bitterness within someone? It's by letting those little things sort of working. I always compare it to that little sliver that I get working in wood. And it gets under the skin, and I think, oh. And I think, I think I got that. But you know, as the days go on, and it begins to turn a little red, and it gets a little sore, I know that I have not gotten it out of there. And eventually, if I let that go, it might become bad enough to where it really gets infected. And sometimes they can get infected to the point to where you need to cut that finger off. Because the poison can spread. That's what that root of bitterness, that poison works in you. That's what bitterness does to us. The writer of the book of Hebrews says, make sure that that root of bitterness isn't there. Paul told the church at Colossae, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Put to death those things. Because they will grow. They will, the term we use, fester. Fester in you. And Paul says to the church in in Rome, as he writes in Romans chapter 6, that beautiful passage about what baptism does to us. He writes, he says, we know, in verse 6, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Well, that's what happens at baptism. But there is a constant process that we go through daily, sometimes hourly, moment by moment, to make sure that those things are being continually put to death. It's a constant process of knowing, as the writer of the book of Hebrews says, who by constant practice can distinguish good from evil. It's a constant practice. It isn't one in which we say, I, yeah, I, I, I was baptized years ago. I'm just kind of, I, I know that I'm safe, but it hasn't done a thing in their life to change. I'm frightful for that person. I'm fearful that they have been sold something that is not real and true. And finally, our last point is before God. 
And Paul writes to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verses 6 and 7 as he talks about that, that process of how that change comes about in us. You see, the church at Corinth says, I like Apollos. And others are saying, no, no, no. I like Simon. No, no, I, I like Paul. No, I like Christ. Paul says, I planted. Apollos watered. But God gave the growth. You see, when we do what the writer of the book of Hebrews says by constant practice, and we are staying in the word, and we are really trying to grow, it's God that is going to give us the increase. It's built right into it. That word of God that we let, that seed we let grow. If only I had a farmer here who could tell us about the process of that seed growing. He would tell us, yes, it just continues to grow into full maturity. He planted the seed. The rain waters it, but God gives the increase. And it's not just to grow, but to grow right. And Paul writes in that beautiful chapter 13, 1 Corinthians. As he talks about all the things that those who were sort of hoodwinked with the spiritual gifts thinking, well, I can talk in tongues. I can prophesy. I can do this, I can do that. And Paul says, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. You see, there's certain growth. And these within themselves were not bad. But if the person lacked love, so the constant practice of, of having things in the right order, in the right way. And Peter talks of this in his second letter, Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 3 and following. When he says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. That's how we get the knowledge right there. And then he says... He goes on to tell us, for this very reason, in verse 5, make every effort, not just when it's convenient for you, not just well, when you have some time or when it's, yeah, you, know, you got a couple minutes. No, make every effort to supplement. Add to your faith. He talks about virtue and knowledge and self-control and steadfastness and godliness and brotherly affection and finally love. Here's the caveat. Here's the warning. For if these qualities are yours and increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the process. But it's the process that is your choice, and it is my choice. And when I choose to disregard it, I know what the consequences are, because we are not left without knowing what the consequences are. Same thing that Simon the sorcerer is told. Your heart is not right with God. And remember, the God of this world will blind us into thinking, I'm okay, you're okay. Because isn't that what the world is telling us right now? Everybody's just okay. We're just okay. We're all right. 
as a bumper sticker of the humanists and atheists put out there, born okay the first time. And that's what people really want to hear. But that's not what God's word tells us. See, the writer of the book of Proverbs, Solomon, tells us in two different places. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. There's a way that seems, it seems okay. It seems like everybody's getting along and everybody loves one another. It seems like everything's okay. I'm okay, you're okay. He says, there's a way that seems right, but in the end is the way to death. And that's what Matthew Matthew records in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 7, verses 13. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to eternal life. And those who find it are few. That's frightening. It really is frightening to know that so very few are going to find it. And Paul continues in writing to the church at Ephesus. He says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, there's that word again, the same word that was used with Simon of Sorcer the sorcerer, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Put it away. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit, through the Word, is trying to work with you daily. And as much as you are willing to grow in maturity, God says, if you ask for wisdom, I'll give it to you. But don't go to sleep at night and think you're going to wake up wise in the morning. You may wake up rested. God says, I'll give them all the wisdom they want. All they want. I'll give it to them. Everything. Do not be deceived what Paul says in Galatians 6, verse 7. God is not mocked for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. What are you sowing today? What are you striving for? How is your heart? Is there that lurking danger, silent and deadly, working through things you have just let go and are turning to bitterness, anger, malice? We don't want to be like Simon the Sorcerer in Acts chapter 8. We don't want to be that way when someone tells us to our face here. But especially we don't want to hear it in that last day. Depart from me. I never knew you. We want a heart that is right with God. And to that end, we extend the invitation so that you may know that we care about your heart. We care that your heart is right with God. And I hope that you care that my heart is right with God. I am not exempt from anything that was spoken here today. I have the same struggles as you. You have the same struggles as me every day. I hope that you're praying for me as I am praying for you. But I hope that if there's anything that you need to take care of this day, that will take care of it while time 
and opportunity. Those two things, time and opportunity, avail themselves with you. Is your heart right with God? Only you can answer that. Whatever your need is, make it known. Together we stand and sing. Have my affections been